0: This morning we're continuing our study through the London Baptist Confession and um, we have reached a new section in our study, kind of a transition. Uh, We covered the first principles in chapter 1 through 6 and from chapter 7 all the way through chapter 20. We then covered the covenant and all of its ramifications. Well now we've entered this The last or next to last section of the confession which uh, centers on God-centered living the freedom and boundaries of the Christian life in chapters 21 through 30 and today we've reached chapter 21 in fact we're going to cover it today and next week as well of Christian liberty and liberty of conscience and as I hope you'll see in a moment This is very important stuff, uh, very interesting stuff as well. I want to just, as usual, begin with a few opening questions. Let me ask you, what what do you think of when you hear the term Christian liberty? What comes to your mind? Freedom in Christ. Okay, in what respect? What does freedom in Christ mean? Freedom from what? I guess freedom. That's good. Yeah. Amen. Mary? I think of like, in a sense of like, there's like a lot of things <laughs> that like people think, oh, we should be good at, but it's like, there's actually a lot that we can do. It's not really about specific things, it's about like our in-house. Okay. So maybe you're thinking of. Freedom in relation to, like, legalism or tradition or the opinions of others. Okay. What about liberty of conscience? They're synonyms, but what comes to your mind? How do you define those things? I'm trying to get you guys involved early, right, to get the juices flowing. Mary, yes, thank you. Absolutely. So, uh, Mary brought up the weaker brother, for example, Romans fourteen, or even in First Corinthians when there's talk about meat sacrificed to idols, and in the sense of 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 our conscience, not you know Jiminy Cricket, uh, let conscience be your guide ultimately, but in some respect, our conscience and the freedom, the freedom that we have in conscience. I'm going to obviously define those things, but. Okay, so those are good things to get you thinking. Um, When we seek to define these two terms, though, I I do want to say first, sadly, um, what we often associate with Christian liberty nowadays is I'm free to live however I want. That's one common maybe abuse of this doctrine Christian liberty is you know what I can do whatever I want and I don't have you know only God can judge me Um, now as we will see Christian liberty is freedom from the doctrines and commandments of men that's what our confession says But most specifically, it's freedom from the law as a covenant, freedom from the dominion of sin, Satan, in the world, and it's freedom for a purpose in order that we may walk in obedience. So it's not just a a doctrine where it shields us from being judged by others, although it is. It's also, it's ultimately a doctrine that's aimed at producing in us Positively, genuine, God-pleasing, God-glorifying obedience. Alright, so in liberty of conscience, similar to this, uh, our freedom from the dominion of others over our conscience, right? You're not, maybe you've heard it say it this way, you know, you're not the Holy Spirit over me, right? Uh, because it's before our own master that we stand or fall. But this does not excuse the fact that we have a duty before God to have a conscience rightly informed by His Word. We do have liberty of conscience, but all our conscience is informed by something. And it's we're called by God to have it informed by His Word. So these are, these are a few just opening things that I'm, I'm throwing at you. Um, and... my goal is to show you the importance of this chapter. Some have said and made the argument that this is one of the most important chapters in the entire confession. And and I think I probably agree with that. I would agree also, some have said that this doctrine is central to distinguishing Reformed Baptists from every other form of Baptists. And I think I would agree with that as well. I want you to think about this as you consider these quotes. Right? Think about how important it is. Think about how it's central to distinguishing Reformed Baptists from everybody else. Not to say that we're better than everybody else, but like it's a distinguishing mark of Reformed Baptists. Think about these quotes. John Calvin Christian liberty is a thing that is principally necessary especially as an appendant or a subordination or attachment uh, uh, implication of justification. And it avails not a little to the understanding and the strength thereof of our justification. Because unless Christian liberty be held fast to, neither Christ nor the truth of the gospel nor the inward peace of the soul is rightly known. Don't you want to know Christ? Don't you want to know truth? Don't you want to have inward peace? Without Christian liberty, these things fall apart. That's what Calvin is saying. That's important. John Owen, the second principle of the Reformation, whereupon, whereon the Reformers justified their separation from the church in Rome, was this. That Christians were not tied up to blind obedience unto church guides, but were not only at liberty but also obliged to judge for themselves as into all things that they were to believe and practice in religion and the worship of God. The second principle of the Reformation? Can you get like any more important than that? Like justification, clearly gonna be the first. Right? How we're saved. Right next to that. The second principle of the Reformation, you are free to judge for yourself how you want to live and how you want to worship. With some boundaries on that, of course. Uh, Another Puritan, Samuel Bolton, phenomenal book, Two Rounds of Christian Freedom. There are two great things that Christ has entrusted into the hands of his church. First, the Christian faith. That's pretty central. Second, Christian liberty. Given these quotes, a thing that's principally necessary second principle of the Reformation, part of the two main things that God has given to His church, don't you see why this doctrine is so important? Let's see here. This doctrine is important because it's central to our understanding of the Christian life. This doctrine is important because it's directly related to justification, sanctification, and worship. This doctrine is important because an error here can overthrow the entire gospel. A few verses to back this up. And I'll give you a chance. And some verses. Galatians 5.1 For freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't submit to a yoke of slavery. 1 Corinthians 7.23 You were bought with a price, do not become bondservants of men. Don't become a slave, that's what the word means, don't become a slave of men. Don't become a slave of what people think that you should believe and obey and live like based upon their tradition or their opinions that go beyond or outside the Word of God. Galatians 2.4 There were false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out the freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery Paul says to them, we do not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. The truth of the gospel being preserved depends upon us not becoming bondservants, slaves to men or to other people's conscience. Matthew 15, 9. Jesus, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me because they teach as doctrines. The commandments of men. So this is important because it touches on some of the most fundamental doctrines of our faith. Justification, sanctification, guilt, shame, sin. Law, repentance, I also want to say though, the doctrine of Christian liberty also touches on worship, church authority, church life, unity and love in the body of Christ. Christians, let's just face it, often have very different understandings and convictions on things where Scripture is silent. That's just a reality. In fact, I I say this all the time in private conversations and counseling. There is a reason why so much of the New Testament exhorts Christians in the church to strive for unity and to be of one mind. Because the expectation, not the expectation, but the acknowledgement of the reality of the apostles is, Christians are going to disagree on a lot of stuff. If we took a poll right now of everyone in this room, and we asked your convictions on this movie, or that song, or that manner of dress, or that manner of conduct, or that entertainment, or that whatever, we're going to get 40 or 50 different opinions. Christians frequently differ on things that are not clearly prescribed in Scripture. And so this doctrine addresses how do we understand those differences? How do we treat each other When we differ, this is where this doctrine is important. Let me give you a few examples to stir the pot a little bit. This is introduction. All right, we're really going to jump into the doctrine next week, but. Yes, I'm going to stir. I want to get you thinking. In years past, and I'm thinking the last maybe 50 to 80 years, the battleground of Christian liberty often centered around the three things that you see up there drinking, dancing, and smoking, secular music. Music styles, movies, entertainment, Bible versions, the KJV only movement, standards of modesty, should all women wear pants, for example, I mean, should not, should they not wear pants, dating versus courtship, homeschool or public school. In previous generations, this was part of the battleground of Christian liberty. Right. Like, let's just take drinking for example. Um, we see both ample warning in the in the scriptures about the dangers of alcohol, and yet we also see it being used and enjoyed by God's people, and even prescribed in the Lord's Supper. How do we deal with that question? Well, one Christian is going to say, uh, "It's my liberty in Christ." Right? Another Christian's gonna say, Don't you see how addic- addicting it can be? Don't you see the families is destroyed? Don't you see what it's done to society? Don't you see drunk driving? Take the issue of, of dancing. <laughs> well, this can lead to sexual promiscuity. A Christian has no business doing that. Can't you see smoking, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. My point in bringing those up is not to give you a right or wrong answer. That's not my goal, and that's not the confession's goal either. It's to show you this doctrine touches on where scripture isn't explicit. Does the Bible say, Thou shalt not dance? David danced before the ark. I'm not saying that, there's a right, that your conviction is right or wrong. If you have particular convictions on these things, that's good and necessary. The point is, your convictions are your convictions. They're not to be your neighbor's convictions. In our day, though, I'm going to stir the pot a little bit more. I think we've moved a little bit beyond those things. Those aren't the battlegrounds of the church anymore. By and large, at least not in our circles. But in our day, it's it's kind of morphed. Uh, Is the matter of how we vote obedience or sin? Can a Christian vote Democrat? Uh, Do you recycle? Do you purchase fair trade coffee? Do you actively care for the environment? How can you be a Christian and not recycle? You think I'm joking. Should we shop at Target or Starbucks? These places are hostile to Christian freedom. I mean, to Christian religious freedom. Right? They're promoting the, the, the homosexual movement. They're giving their money, Starbucks, to... To all these horrible anti-Christian groups and movements. How can you as a Christian purchase something from them when they do that? Is it a sin to send our children to public school rather than to homeschool? Are we racist if we don't support Black Lives Matter? Must a Christian fit a certain level of social action into their weekly routine? Do you support this movement? Do you support this nonprofit ministry? Do you support this, this social justice issue? Do you vote in this way? These, these are really the battlegrounds in our day, more than the drinking, dancing, smoking. We've, we've, again, we've kind of moved beyond that. I think we've learned a lot of lessons from those things. But the issue is still with us. Again, don't you see the point? My point is not that you don't have convictions on these things. You need to. You must. My point is, though, that these are issues that the Scriptures do not speak explicitly black and white clear on. And so the doctrine of Christian liberty must inform how we understand these things and specifically how we treat others who differ with us on these things it's okay to differ on these things not only is it okay it's just reality are we unloving if we don't support universal health care many other issues like that oh, i think we really saw this with COVID. I mean, this is, we really saw it with COVID. Do we wear a mask or not? Do we get the vaccine or not? Do we comply with lockdowns or not? Do we close churches or not? How can a loving Christian refuse to wear a mask? How could a loving Christian, if you really love your neighbor, you're going to refuse the vaccine? And vice versa. I'm not giving you answers on these things, alright? I'm showing you this is Christian liberty. This is, you know, if you look back at what COVID, all kinds of Christians were defining what was loving and what was unloving. What was obedient and what was sinful. What helped the gospel, what hurt the gospel. What furthered evangelism in the church and what hindered it. And we all had really strong opinions on those things, didn't we? We saw how the church and society tore each other apart over them. Yes, I read a litany of articles that said, if you don't social distance and wear a mask and get the vaccine, you're really not loving your neighbor. You're in disobedience. And I read many other articles that argued the exact opposite. This is where Christian liberty comes into play. And one thing I want to warn you of, just to be, you know, we all have issues that are like pet issues, you know, don't we? Things that are really important to us. Things that we think are maybe the root of a major problem that we see in the church or in the world. And our tendency is to make those things important And to make our neighbors' concern less important. Well, Christian liberty is important when it comes to COVID restrictions, or it's not. But then, when you have an issue such as I don't know, I don't know, drinking or dancing or smoking, then that's not important at all. Well, don't you see? Obviously, the answer is clear here. We all have our our pet issues. And we need to be really careful about this. Christian liberty informs them all. And yeah, I think it was really thrown out the window during COVID, but it, 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 it informs so much of the Christian life and so much of the church life. And we need to be careful just because we see maybe alcohol is a huge problem in the church, but um, I don't know, music styles isn't or vice versa, where we have our pet issues and we may give lip service to Christian liberty, but we treat others with contempt if they differ with us. So, you may have strong feelings on a lot of these things that I just listed. And that's good and that's necessary, but Christian liberty touches on the fact and the reality that where Scripture is silent, we are free in Christ to draw our own conclusions. I mean, that's, that's how our church handled COVID. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you want a social distance, we can make sure that nobody comes near you. But if you don't want to wear a mask... You don't have to wear a mask to enter in and worship. We left it up to the liberty of conscience. It's how our church handles a lot of issues that I just mentioned. All those things that I just mentioned. Even politically, it's not my job to tell you how to vote. It's not not my response. Now, As a pastor or as a congregation, do we help each other kind of vote wisely? Yes, we should. Do I have very strong feelings on how you should vote? Absolutely. Absolutely. But voting is a matter of Christian liberty. You're responsible before God for how you vote. Don't create a new law that God has not said and use that to bind other Christians. We are not bound to the consciences of others. And the flip side of that, that's the freedom aspect, right? You shield this from being judged. But the opposite of that is we are to never bind the consciences of others where scripture does not clearly speak. I'll give you a chance for a comment in just a moment. One more thing, one last thing. I want to say, well, the two last things. I forgot about this slide. Um, ultimately, the doctrine of Christian liberty concerns our freedom in Christ before God. It is not a doctrine we just pull out when we want to continue a practice that other Christians don't approve of. And secondarily, it concerns worship and church authority. Alright, so it's for the positive use of obedience, it does concern our freedom before God, but it also relates to church authority as well. And and that's what I'm going to conclude this intro with, uh, just by nailing this home. Historically, it was really all about religious freedom. Um, If you look at the situation in the 17th century, yeah, there, there were debates and discussions on on whether a Christian could play cards or not, or play with dice, or go to the theater. There's, there's lots of Puritan-like discussion on some of those things. How to raise children, duties of the household, things like that. But really, the battle that they were facing in that day is religious freedom, because the state and others were telling the church how they were to worship. The book of common prayer has to be used. And so the the, the, the kind of arena of the confession in this chapter is really situated to deal with that question and and that's why if you look at the rest of what follows um, in chapters 22 and following it touches on regular principle of worship touches on church order touches touches on um, the Christian life in relation to the body of Christ it's It's really, that was the battle they were facing. So again, put this in context, maybe the last 50, 80 years, we fought drinking, dancing, smoking. Now in our day, it's all political and social stuff. Well, back in their day, it was all church stuff. And that's why it speaks most specifically to church things. So with that, I'm going to give you an outline of the chapter. um, And... We'll dive in, but I want to give you now a chance to make a few comments or ask a few questions based upon the very provocative things I've been saying. Mary. What were your thoughts on, like, I guess, like, that might be like the first words in terms of, like, is that a matter of Christian liberty? Curse words, use of foul language, Uh, the scriptures are really clear to put all obscene talk out of our mouth Um, and to speak that which is true and beautiful. Uh, Does Paul use profanity when he says, you know, my righteous deeds were like dung? No, I think that's an exaggeration and a perversion. Um, I don't see the Apostle Paul using profanity. Um, but th- that's not my goal in this series is to answer specific questions, um, because obviously we can get in the weeds. Like, what 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 is a curse word? What is it? Um, so it is somewhat a matter of, I guess, in the sense of your conscience, but the the principle is clear: uh, to refrain from all obscene talk filthy speech yes Charity That's a great question. I think that's really where the rubber meets the road. How do we give counsel to people when they come to us asking wisdom on a matter that is indifferent or Christian liberty? Well, this is where wisdom and law really play an important role. Law is very clear. It's black and white. Do this. Don't do this. Wisdom um, is the law rightly applied or it's wisdom in the sense of um, seeing the whole, the big picture in ordering our steps A right. And so you may come to me and say, well, um, let's just, let's just, let's, let's think of an example. So uh, you have five children, six. I knew that. Uh, Say you come to your pastor and you're like, you know, we're struggling financially. Should I get a job or not outside the home? Um, Law would be something like, no, you have six children. That's a sin for you to do. Wisdom would be like, well, I think in your situation, let's, let's, let's evaluate things, let's evaluate your children, your husband, your income, your place in life, how long this is going to be, um, and let's seek to make a decision that is that is wise. And so, yes, a pastor helps you do that. So do other people in the church as well um, to try to lead you into wisdom. And so I, I think that's how we have to approach those things. Ultimately not trampling over someone's conscience and saying, just because I would do this, or I think this is most wise, that this is the only answer, um, and yet at the same time saying, I mean, this is what, you know, it seems, seems to be clear for your situation, here's my advice I would give. Um, and I frequently do that. I, you know, people come to me with questions like, well, here's what I think, but you're really free to make your own decision, and I'm not going to tell you what to do. I can't tell you, that's not my job to tell you what to do. It's not anyone else's job to tell you what to do, unless it's a matter in which Scripture speaks clearly. The moral law of God. I, I, in fact, I, I was just, I, I frequently share this in membership interviews. But um, I was an intern one time at a church where um, a guy came from another church and he said, you know, I had been out of a job for over a year. I have four children. And I got a job offer, and the job required a great deal of travel, and the elders of my church said, don't take this job because you're going to be pulled away from your family. He said, I felt I had no other choice, I'd been on unemployment, I took the job, and they put me under church discipline. And so he came to this church, I was an intern, to, for help, and we absolutely helped him. We got it eventually worked out. But that is a matter of yeah. Maybe he didn't really. It wasn't the wisest thing to take a job that he. Would, but is it a sin? Absolutely not. And it's not the job, the church's job, to tell you that, Cody. Absolutely. That's such a great point. Um, yes, we, we need to be careful falling into thinking that the Bible speaks on every issue. And that's its goal. Or into thinking that all the Bible and God cares about is just making us into perfect people. I mean, have you read the epistles? There's not a whole... I mean, there's a lot of heart issues discussed. But there's not a lot of specifics. This is how you should dress. This is how you should entertain yourself or not entertain yourself. How much does the, do the epistles speak about politics or social endeavors? Hey, we can talk about things like abortion. That's a huge issue and that's an issue that, that, that the law of God clearly speaks on. Murder. Right? But at the same time, in our day, it's more of a political issue. How much does the Bible say Christians be active political issues like our our level of opposing abortion what we do and what we don't do is somewhat of a matter of christian liberty do we do we do we pick it and preach outside abortion clinics um, do we, you know, hold rallies and 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 marches? And I mean, those are things we're free to do, but where we step over is we say, if you're not preaching a street preaching ministry at an abortion clinic, then you're disobedient. That's trampling on Christian liberty. And take that over any other issue, social or political issue we're talking about. We have to stick to the text. In fact, our sermon in the next hour is going to be on the centrality of the cross. That's what the scriptures, the epistles particularly, nail down. The cross is to be the center of Christian teaching and preaching, and everything is to flow out of that. Let's see another hand. Brooke? Yes. So Yeah, thank you for that. I, my, my experience is the same. Growing up in Institute Basic Five Principles and you wore a suit to church, women didn't wear pants, uh, you never listened to secular music or even music with a rock beat. Uh, but a lot of, again, things that we ought to have convictions on in some respect, but things on which there's freedom and liberty in Christ and great damage is done when we trample on that liberty. Uh, Impose our conscience on other people where the Bible does not speak. Jason? What are your thoughts on the local church leadership at some point has to have a position? Maybe it's not enforcing for all, but like if a wedding was, a reception was downstairs and certain music was played, obviously limits could be pushed, or with COVID, we have to have something. You can't always leave everything wide open. So, oh, yeah. liberty, but the church would say, here's how we're navigating this, but, like, can you talk on that? Yeah, and I am going to talk on that when we get into it, but the Christian liberty does not mean that we have no obligation to obey anybody. Uh, the church has real authority. The church, of uh, the state has real authority. There's real authority in the home, for example. Um, you know um, if a husband tells a wife like I don't want you to take this job for example I mean that that's going to raise some issues that need to be worked through in some respects um, or you know uh, even in the church yes um, the church just saying like we're going to meet for ten thirty for worship like and somebody says well, I don't want to meet at 10 you're trampling on my liberty like well no um, like it doesn't mean that we don't have like standards and authority, but it means like ultimately in regards to sin and sanctification, um, that, that we're not bound to the conscience of another person. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you think it would be too far for a pastor to express his view as long as he's not saying that this is a blanket view you must hold, but here's where I'm at? Oh, no! Absolutely not. Pastors absolutely have to, you know, express their views on this or that. I mean, from the pulpit before, I've I've said things like, uh, oh, touched on matters like, I. This is how I see it. Uh, again, we're talking about excluding, separating. Um, despising other Christians over secondary matters, not talking about just saying like, this is where I really think, you know, I mean, I'll tell you, I I think Christians shouldn't vote Democratic, right? Their agenda is so evil in many respects. And of course, there could be arguments made for Republicans there too. They're, They're oftentimes not much better. They're politicians after all. But like, that's different than saying, if you vote this way, church discipline, or I'm not going to eat with you, or now you're just, you're just this lower class of Christian that I can't talk to. Um, any sort of division in the body over secondary matters is violating the doctrine of Christian liberty. Well, we're not going to have time to jump into anything, so... Um, that's what we'll start up next week. Uh, Christian liberty is defined, and then it's given its boundaries, and then there's a paragraph about perverting it. Um, you think back to how I began and saying this doctrine frees us, but it's for a purpose. It's not just to give you permission to live however you want to live, that's not the purpose. Think about the New Testament when it talks about the uh, eating meat sacrificed to idols. If you pay careful attention, in some places, that practice is approved of or defended. You know, the Apostle Paul says, look, you're not sinning when you do it. But in other places in the New Testament, it's spoken of as something Christians should not do at that time. How and why? Because you can pervert the doctrine of Christian liberty. And particularly with meat sacrifice to idols, if you're doing it and it's trampling on others, failing to love others, remember the weaker brother, stronger brother? A practice that may be legitimate becomes a sin. An easy example would be drinking alcohol. We know it can't be a sin. It's prescribed in the Lord's Supper. But what if you're drinking in a manner that harms or damages or separates you from your brother or sister in Christ? Then it can become a sin because you're sinning against them. So that's how It's defying, it's given boundaries, and then the confession warns about abusing it. It's not just so that you can live however you want to live. The doctrine of Christian liberty is to free you to joyfully, joyfully obey in the Christian life. It's to lead you into holiness, knowing what pleases God. Right, Obeying the commandments of men does not please God. This leads you into how to please God, but it also leads you in how to love your brother and preserve the unity of the faith and the bonds of peace. That's what it's for. So we will jump into chapter one, paragraph uh, chapter twenty-one, paragraph one next week. There's no more thoughts or questions. Let me go ahead and close this up in prayer.